0: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallets, Smart Money Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I am Diego Corzo, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I recently
0: got back from a trip to Maui. I went there specifically to be a guest on the A Better Life Podcast with Brandon Turner. Maui is incredible. The pristine beaches, the gorgeous weather, the relaxed pace and atmosphere, all of which left a huge impression on me, but it turns out not the most memorable part of my trip. What sticks with me is sitting across the table recording the podcast when Brandon hit me with a whopper. He asked, if you had to start at zero today and couldn't be a doctor, what would be the best way to rebuild to financial independence? My answer was quick and certain real estate. This from the guy who after five doors called it quits in the middle of the pandemic, the guy who abandoned landlording because it was no longer serving me. I might not like it, but real estate is probably the most powerful and accessible means to building wealth, which is exactly what I'm going to talk about with my guest on today's episode. One, is real estate the best path to financial independence? And two, should real estate be a life passion or just a common tool? Diego Corzo created a community that will help you become a millionaire and achieve financial independence one rental at a time called the FI Investors Mastermind. He is also the creator and host of the FI Investors podcast. Diego Corzo, welcome to
1: Earn and Invest. Jordan, it is a pleasure to be here and I'm excited for all the great conversations we're going to be having. Diego, I'm really excited to have this conversation with
0: you. And one thing that really hits me is I kind of know you both in the financial independence world itself, as well as in the real estate world. So what came first for you? Was this this idea that I need to become financially independent, or was it just a love or passion for real estate?
1: Yeah, for me, it was personal finance, personal development. That's what was first, because I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, not knowing that I was going to go into real estate. And, uh, but one thing that I have to say, because when you mentioned in the intro that that question from Brandon Turner, uh, man, later I can give you my answer too, uh, but I'm really excited about that. But what, what first got me was personal finance and understanding that there are two ways for people to make money. Like that's what I learned. And it was, you can either trade your time for money or make your money work for you. So then, that's how I got into real estate because I wanted to buy assets that would give me money, and it just happened that in me studying various things to go into uh, real estate was one that gave me tax advantages, gave me income, allowed me to leverage my money, right? Because I I can't just go to a bank and be like, hey, I'm gonna put a hundred thousand into Apple stock, can you lend me four hundred thousand? right? You can't do that. But with real estate, you can. You can tell the bank, hey, I'm going to buy this asset, this property for $500,000. Uh, i am going to put 100000 out of my pocket. They're like, cool, we'll give you 400000 So that is one of the reasons why I chose real estate. And it just happened to be something that I could touch. And Rich that Poor, that in his book, also gave a lot of examples about real estate. Uh, and it made it more it made it more accessible for me in my mindset of what I could do.
0: Now, if I recall, Richie Porter, they don't really talk about this concept that we know of as financial independence that we talk a lot about today. Do you remember how you first heard that term?
1: About financial independence? It came from an event that I went to with, uh, the event was called Succeed Faster. And uh, you may know the person, uh, Adam Carroll. He's yes. been to FinCon a few times. So he had an event where uh, it was for college students, and I managed to go to that event in 2010 or 2011, and uh, that was my first glimpse of personal development. But in it, he talked about personal independence and what happens when you live your life with the motto, building a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. And that's where I put all my emphasis to into building what I define in my own terms, a bigger life than just the lifestyle. Adam Carroll is a documentary filmmaker,
0: public speaker in the personal finance world. I believe, if I remember correctly, his documentary about college debt was called Broke, Busted and Disgusted, if I remember correctly. Yes. And Uh, he was my
1: first mentor ever. And uh, I give a lot of uh, a lot of props to him uh, because imagine I read Rich that Poor Dad, and two months later I meet him, and he just like made my brain blow. It was awesome.
0: Another mentor, I'm sure, of course, is Brandon Turner. So tell me if you got hit with that same whopper that I did. If you had to start all
1: over again, would it be real estate? So. There's two things. I would use real estate to build wealth or to build, like if you were to start all over again, right? You need to build a money machine. So it would be, it can be real estate, but no matter what, I would go into something that I can sell. So if I were to start over again, it will either me being a realtor, again, like learning how to sell, uh, or being a wholesaler, but if I wanted to take advantage of everything, I would and and try to be location independent. I will do Facebook ads for people. I will do Instagram for people, and uh, and do it in a way that I can get paid by the marketing that I'm doing because that is a skill that like no matter what people are always willing to pay, right? You can tell somebody, hey, pay me X much. And for every $1,000 that we do in ads, I can convert and give you five. I'd be like, okay, let's do it, right? So I would create a money machine first through my active income, live below my means, and still invest in real estate. That's what I would do again.
0: Interesting. Because in a sense, your answer says that while real estate's important, there are definitely some other avenues and this ability to sell, whether Mm -hmm. it be real estate or
1: other things, is actually a huge key to success. Exactly. Being able to sell yourself, right, in a super with integrity in a servant leader kind of way so that you can create a win-win that that has been that has been something that for me for example has worked wonders because it just happened that I wanted like for me to start investing in real estate, I told myself what is one way that I could do it? in a market that i don't know which was austin texas when i moved here i moved to austin texas not knowing anybody not knowing real estate not knowing where anything was really the market or anything i got here uh to work as a software developer so i had a job making a five thousand dollars a month but i got my license because i knew that this is a way that i could help other people but i can also make extra money And it's in the industry that I wanted to learn, right? So then from that perspective, what ended up happening is I was working my job. I saw being a realtor as my money machine that there's no cap. And then I just went for it, right? But I began to help other people and then making more of that income. And I deployed it into real estate.
0: You know, your answer is interesting. I mean, I guess someone could ask, well, why real estate? Why bother with real estate anyway, right? So sales is the thing. Real estate is how you eventually use that skill of sales. But is there something magical magical about real estate that maybe would make it more accessible and easier
1: for your average person who was looking to accumulate wealth? I would say so, because real estate is one of those things, right? Like, I gave you the example of buying something with a hundred thousand and borrowing 400. Well, right now, uh, you can actually buy a house with 3% down, right? So imagine that you're able to get, like, I'll give you the example, right? Of my first house hack, and I can get into what house hacking means and stuff, but I was able to buy an asset, a house that was worth 170 at the time, putting 5% down so for less than $10,000, I bought this house. I rented out three rooms. I lived for free. I had extra income that paid for my car payment. But now that asset is worth three fifty. dollars Now that was in 2014. We're talking about 2023 now. So what is that? Like seven years later uh, is worth three fifty. But now I also have a line of credit of 160000 And I am just... I like I'm using the equity. Right. And even if that's all that I did, even if that is all that that the only property that I bought, if I were to compare with somebody else that was just renting and is still renting today, I probably have over two hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. Uh, My net worth is higher than than that other regular person. Right. By just buying that one asset with less than ten thousand dollars. And so, so that's why real estate is something that allows the regular person that wants to get started in building wealth, low down payment opportunities and be able to reduce their living expenses.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's quite magical, right? There's almost no other place in the world where you can use leverage to such an extent, the way you can do it with real estate investing, whereas it's much, much harder if you're going to, let's say get a business loan or something else that isn't involved with real estate, you mm. know, it reminds me of a guest I had not that long ago on earn and invest, uh, a woman named Ava Jurgens who started buying real estate at the age of sixteen, right? Wow. So as a sixteen year old, she did what's called couch surfing, right? She'd buy a couch, clean it, sell it the same day for a few hundred dollars more quickly accumulated like ten to fifteen thousand dollars and then used leverage and created a deal with her parents to buy her first rental real estate the thing about Ava she's 18 now she was 16 there was a deep and abiding passion for doing this kind of thing like I think she would probably do it even if she wasn't getting paid because it was the art of the deal so mm-hmm. let's talk about real estate in general do you have to be passionate about it to use it as a tool to make money because I see, I see the whole spectrum, right? I know people who even if they weren't making money would be doing real estate deals because they just love the thrill of it. But is
1: it necessary? So I don't think that you have to be passionate. You just have to make sure that you understand it, right? And maybe for example, I am maybe I am digging myself into like a hole or whatever like because for example, I don't invest in the stock market. But if you were to tell me Diego, if you give me x amount of money i can get you 6% in the stock market when i trust you maybe i would give you money uh, but because i don't enjoy it i don't take the time to learn about it because i have other avenues which i chose for me like i'm only i'm like my 401k is like $9000 but my real estate net worth is like 3 million right mm-hmm. so it's a complete different spectrum The the main thing here is you don't have to be passionate, but it becomes easier when things come up. But also, how involved do you want to be, right? Because people may not be passionate, but you can give a hundred thousand to somebody who is passionate, but they're just giving you a return, like an eight percent pref or ten percent preferred pref, as a syndication. Um, you don't have to be passionate about real estate. You do have to be it does help being passionate when those obstacle obstacles come, those challenges, and you're like, okay, I know what I know that this is for the long term, it's not for the short term. So those small hiccups is just something that is totally normal and go from there.
0: I mean, you bring up a good point because real estate investing is a spectrum of activities, right? So if you are hyper passionate about it, maybe you are that landlord who's going in and fixing the property up yourself
1: mm-hmm. and
0: renovating and finding your own tenants and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, maybe you have no interest in it at all, and you're a hard money lender who's just giving your hundred thousand dollars and letting someone else do all the work, and, and all you have to do is the due diligence on whoever's you're lending that money to.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And also, and this is something you touch up in a great point. Like a lot of people will tell me, Diego, why don't you just buy a property that needs work and do the rehab and then you get that, 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 like the value add. Yeah, the forced
0: appreciation. Yeah,
1: forced appreciation. Um, But I'm like, because I don't want to, like all of the properties that I bought in Austin, Texas, and I own like six or seven right now, six properties, let's say. Uh, they're all, I bought them all brand new because I just want to, I want to close on it and I want to have, have a tenant move in right away. And then I'm making money from day one. And because my time is more valuable in my active income, being a realtor, right? I understand the value of time and how much my time is worth, that that is much more important then trying to buy a property, meeting with the contractors, seeing when they're gonna like paint, redo the flooring, redo the kitchen, and everything. Maybe that takes two months, right? I don't care about that. I care about hey, I'm buying it, putting a tenant that next week, I'm good to go, and I continue making my money as a realtor. So that is the difference. And I will tell you, are you passionate? Am, am I passionate about? doing renovations i'll be like heck no that's not like <laughs> gives me my passion but what i'm passionate about is like being able to buy the property and collecting the cash flow <laughs> that is something that i'm passionate about
0: diego you mentioned this idea that look you know in my 401k there's like $9000 very little on the other hand in real estate investing i have something like 3 million yeah it- really brings about that question, like how does a real estate investor define financial independence? And is that different than someone like me who just says, I'm going to put all my money in the stock market?
1: Yeah. For me, financial independence becomes more of how much passive income you have that's covering your living expenses. And there's there's levels, I think, because I achieved financial independence when I was 26, 27 years old, but that was at that lifestyle of I was like, imagine this, I'm living for free, right? And I'm getting, and I'm making like $4,000 a month or $3,000 a month in passive income. I have zero student debt, no credit card debt, right? Like if I'm living for free and I have no debt, 26 years old with three or $4,000 a month, you're good. So that's what for me... Uh, Now, that has changed as I got older. I'm 33, right? But I bought my first property at 23. That has changed where now, for example, my level of financial independence for sure is like I need a minimum of $10,000 a month, but my goal is to get to 20. And I even did the math the other day as I was like, when would enough be enough, right? Of passive income. And I was like, okay, $40,000 a month. What does that mean? If I had forty thousand dollars a month, okay, I did the math, and uh, and it's like okay, you have eight thousand dollars in your mortgage, and that's million dollar penthouse downtown, or or a, or like a million million dollar home, million dollar home, eight thousand. You have two cars, each each that you're paying a thousand bucks to. Buy it right, like your 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 car payment. Then you're putting that's ten thousand. Then you spend a thousand bucks a month on food. Let's say, I'm sorry, a thousand bucks a week, thousand bucks a week on food because you wanna like you do this, you do that, whatever, right? So now you're at fourteen thousand. And then then you spend another thousand bucks for your maybe one or two thousand bucks for your car insurance, for your cell phone bills, utilities, whatever, right? You're at 16,000. Then another $1,000 for your gym membership. You're at 17. And then 5,000 a month just to travel regular. Now you're at 23, 25. You have another 15,000. I put that as a way like you have another 15,000 money that you can give to charity whatever and you can take one private plane trip that's 8,000 a month and you won a month, 8,000, and you would still be fine, right? That's 40,000 living a super crazy lifestyle. Uh, is that necessary? No. But between 30 and 40, that is like, the max that I would need is like 30 or 40. And I would even when I did my expenses, I would probably just spend 20, realistically.
0: I mean, two thoughts come from that, as, as you're mentioning this. One is, which is totally true. If you are your traditional investor trying to get to financial independence, which most people define as like 25 times your yearly spending, if you're doing it kind of the traditional way, Mm -hmm. it's going to take you years and years and years to get there. On the other hand, if you define it the way you're talking about it, which is passive income meeting monthly needs, you could very well become financially independent within a few years of starting to be a real estate investor. So you're talking about in your 20s. So that's one thing which I think is very cool about real estate. But I wanna push a little more on that question that you brought up. You were talking about what you define as enough, but I found that a lot of people who invest in real estate once they get successful, have a lot of trouble figuring out what enough really means like. And I'll ask them, I'm like, okay, you have enough to cover your monthly needs, but you're buying more and more and more real estate. Is that a catching point for people with real estate? Do they have trouble figuring
1: out what enough really means? I think so. And it becomes to the point of, Okay, you've reached enough, but if they're passionate about it, if they like like the art of the deal, if that's where they feel that like, like, dude, I was able to get this house and uh, I was able to negotiate this or I put 20000 And if I get to the point of, let's say, my $20,000 a month, any other investment that I do in the future is going to be more of, okay. How much is it going to cost me mentally of stuff that I don't want to deal with? Right. Because, and this is something that Brandon Turner talks about. It's like, if you have a problem, if you throw money at it, do you really have a problem? And you have the money. I've used that example where it's like, okay, is it it $500 to fix? Yes. Okay. Here's $500. It's not a problem anymore. Right. Now we're talking about monetary problems. You cannot fix relationship problems with money. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Don't try to do that. Don't be like, hey, I'm mad at you here. Take 500, go shopping. No, that is the worst thing you can do. Um, but the main thing is understanding that in the future, once I hit that cash flow goal, anything else is gonna be like, is am I gonna be able to sleep at night? Am I gonna get am I gonna be able to sleep well at night without being worried? Uh how much mental capacity of worry is it going to bring me? Because at that point, I just want to enjoy life. And what something that I have found is that I enjoy doing partnerships or investing with my friends. Like if your friends are building wealth too, and there's opportunity, doing it together and a win-win, it's freaking amazing. But also what's what's important is that I don't want to worry about much, Right. Um, so that's where I am. I don't know if i if, if that answered your your question per se, but it's really important to understand that people sometimes they like if you're moving the goal going from one end, okay, I'm gonna get to twenty and then maybe when I get to twenty, I'm like, actually, never mind I'm gonna get to twenty five thousand and then when I get to twenty five I'm gonna get to thirty, then at that point, you have to ask yourself why. And that's one of the reasons why I called the mastermind that I have the financial independent investors is because I wanna help them achieve financial independence, but then what happens after? Like that is the question, like Diego, I retire my parents, I retire my spouse, we're all retired. Now what the heck do I do with my time, right? And I'm like, this is the best place to be in. You get to do anything that you want with your loved ones but you have to make sure that you're also feeling fulfilled and growing, right? If you stop growing, like you can only live, like you can only spend so many days at the beach drinking Mai Tais until it becomes more, okay, I've done it, now what's next, right? And comes from a guy that just bought, like, I just bought my condo in Puerto Rico and that's all I want to do right now is go to the beach. But uh, but from that perspective, I feel like it's important to know when enough is enough, We are talking to
0: Diego Corzo, who created a community that will help you become a millionaire and achieve financial independence one rental at a time called the FI Investor Mastermind. And we are talking about real estate passion or tool. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. USA.com. That's Land Rover USA.com. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are back with Diego Corzo. He is the creator and host of the Fi Investors Podcast. And we are talking about all things real estate today. Based on our conversation, the first half of the show, Diego, it sounds almost too good to be true. So, so what are the stumbling blocks that real estate investors come upon? How are you gonna fail at real estate if that's gonna happen to you?
1: Yeah, the the main thing, one of the main stumbling blocks. It's something that it's it's interesting, but something that you cannot touch. It's more a mental game where a lot of people get stuck in analysis paralysis. A lot of people have shiny object syndrome, right? Because they listen to, for example, to bigger pockets, right? And they listen to one podcast like short term rentals. Great. I'm gonna do short term rentals. Then you listen to another podcast. Wait, there's money in in like in doing long term rentals. Maybe I should invest out of state. Oh, everybody's investing in the Smokies. Let me invest in the Smokies. Then everybody's investing in this other place, right? Um, so it's really important to pick one strategy that's going to work for you. And once you do that, commit to it. Analyze deals in various ways. Let me like, be like, hey, if I buy this property, my worst case scenario, I have it as a long term rental. What would it look like if I have it as a midterm rental? What would it look like short term? What if I do co-living where I rent out the rooms? Like just analyze have various exit strategies because that's what sometimes stops a lot of people is they don't think what strategies they can do for certain properties. Uh, But the stumbling blocks comes analysis paralysis, trying to hit a home run in your first deal where I tell people just get to first base. Just get to first base. Because when you do that, you're taking action, you're meeting your investor-friendly realtor, your lender, the property manager, you're getting started. And by you starting and analyzing deals, you're going to get more opportunity to get lucky, quote unquote, as people would call it, so that you're going to run into those deals that are going to be make sense. And you'll be like, holy crap, this is a deal that I definitely need to buy. Right. But it comes from you being in the arena rather than sitting on the sidelines waiting for you to get into taking action. I recommend it's better to take action and imperfect action than waiting for perfect action.
0: Yeah. The mediocre first deal thing is so common. I can't tell you how many really successful real estate investors I've talked to and like, yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed about the first deal. It just broke even or I made a little bit of money. But that second and
1: the third one, I really knew what I was doing after that. Exactly. Exactly. That is that is really important because when you do that, you're also you also begin to talk a little bit different, right? Because now when people are like, hey, what are you doing? What are you up to? Be like, oh, I just bought this property. Oh, cool. That's something that I want to get into. Or hey, I also bought a property. So now it's coming into different conversations, right? Um, so I feel like that creates more opportunity. Uh, for different levels of conversations that then come with your circle. I feel like some people stumble in real estate because they don't have that support group, whether you call it accountability or same like-minded people that have similar goals. I highly recommend that you do get into the right groups of people where the standard is buying real estate. Right. I know that if I was the kind of person that was investing in the stock market or in crypto, for example, a lot of my friends would be crypto people or stock people. But right now, all my friends are in real estate. So I talk all I talk real estate 24 seven. So it's important to know that there's various avenues, uh, but you do have to choose one.
0: I was going to jump to this later in the conversation, but it seems particularly apt right now. Talk about the FI Investor's Mastermind. Tell us about the importance of having other people going through the same thing you are as a real estate investor.
1: Tony Robbins has a quote. He says that the quality of your life is in direct proportion with the quality of the people in your peer group right and we've all heard Jim Rohn you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with so if you want to be that person that achieves financial independence surround yourself with people that are in that path of financial independence because if not you're going to have that uncle that cousin that are going to tell you hey don't do that right and those naysayers stop you they might be doing it because they love you and they don't want you to lose money or have that fear or other times is they tell you no because they don't uh, because they also never took a chance and they prefer that you don't take a chance either, right? Out of love or something. Uh, so it's super important to make sure that you're connecting with people that are having the same conversations as you. And that is one of the things that we um that we that we do at Fi investors is we are a group of real estate investors looking to achieve financial independence with the right strategies, but most importantly is accountability, celebrating the wins, even if it's taking action. Like I tell people, hey, what are the wins that you have for your week, right? And it's even submitting an offer. People think that you have to close to be a win, but no, submitting an offer is one step closer. And then the lessons learned. It's much better to have a group of people or a coach, let's say, a mentor that shrinks that the amount of time that will take you to get to success, right? Because you're learning from other people's mistakes. That's what the fine investor does. It shrinks the opportunity uh, for you to take action um, so that you can see results faster rather than pulling the trigger later, or, hey, I'll invest whenever I do that. But if you're constantly every week coming to calls and we call you and be like, hey, what did you accomplish this last week? You can give an excuse on week one. But if we're week seven and you're giving the same excuse, be like, hey, you're either going to leave or how can we help you and support you to take action?
0: There are almost no negatives to masterminds and accountability groups. If I really push myself, I guess I could say the one negative is, is the creation of bubbles, right? You get a lot of like-minded people who tend to build on each other's beliefs from the beginning. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who look to 2008 and say there's a big real estate bubble. You know, real estate is unquote, quote unquote, dangerous, or mm-hmm. certainly it's, Prone to recession. Tell me about how you look at real estate in general as you compare it to other investments. Is it recession proof? Is it recession protected? What mm-hmm. do you say to people who are like, "I'm really scared that another 2008 is going to come along"?
1: Here's one thing: if you're investing for cash flow, and this is something that I've learned as I've been investing in short-term rentals in in um, like long-term. Uh, Co living, like I've invested in many different ways, right? I own apartment building, like a 16 unit stuff like that. Um, I have found in all of that that if I analyze a property and know the various exit strategies, and you know the downside, you're good. Now, here's one thing that's important: the cash flow is more important than the potential appreciation. Because if I had a tenant, that was paying me 1500 a month and i bought that property in 2006 and the property went from 200 that it was worth to 300 to 400 then it came down to 200 again but that tenant is still there and he's still paying and i'm still making my let's say in this example 400 a month in passive income then you're good in reality sure your net worth has gone up has come down um, but if you're investing for cash flow, that that's what I tell a lot of people, hey, the appreciation is a cherry on the top. Now, is there going to be appreciation? Yes. But if you're negative 200 bucks and investing for appreciation, you better have another strategy to go for that, which I've been investing like that recently. And my that the reason why I'm doing that is for uh, tax purposes so that I can depreciate the property even faster, right? But that's more advanced. But the idea here is that, yes, the rents are more recession-proof than the ups and downs of the market. I'll give you an example really quick, too, is um, I bought a brand new home here in Austin, Texas. I put it under contract for a 1000 bucks. This is in 2020, right? Not knowing that the market was going to skyrocket, from that perspective, I bought it for a hundred thousand. I mean, for a thousand bucks, it was three hundred thousand. By the time that we closed on it, it was worth our other homes were selling around 400,000. Six months later, we pulled a line of credit of a hundred thousand dollars on the property and it appraised at 440. Okay. Now that was last year, early last year. If I were to look at that net worth at that property now. It's probably worth 400 or 390 okay but that tenant is still paying 2200 through that ups and downs right so my cash flow is still good the net worth again is the cherry on top and the market in Austin went up 40 percent and it came down 20 percent. so you have to be okay with those ups and downs and that comes with recession periods.
0: I feel like most new investors kind of get that idea of cash flow, but you've now said it a few times and I've heard some very savvy real estate investors say this, maybe one of those tricks that the new people don't really know, exit strategy has to be part of your buying plan. And I mm-hmm. only heard this after I really started studying real estate, but is that one of those tricks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it has to be. And I don't know if you can curse in this podcast, but it's like your, your, oh shit moment, right? People that you're going to get a lot of oh shit moments investing in real estate. And, uh, when you hit certain like, oh shit moments, um, it's important to know like, what are your exit strategies and what are your options It's better to have plan A, B, and C in real estate so that you can take an educated decision. Right. And here's the thing. Take a calculated risk. It's at the end of the day, everything is risky, right? Like quitting your job is risky. Investing in real estate is risky. But can you do a calculated risk where you cover your downside? Be like, hey, I'm looking at this property. And for example, I was talking to one of the mentees yesterday and he's like, Diego, I'm negative $300 in my three properties, but I'm cash, but they have appreciated a lot. I was like, okay, have, did you ever run your numbers if you were doing midterm rentals? And he's like, hey, last time I did it, I can and then I cash flow six hundred more. So now I'm positive three hundred. I was like, great. So maybe this is an idea that you can do, but it's something that in the beginning he never purchased, he never analyzed it. So it's time that what I recommend a lot of people even now is uh, is is very important to analyze their portfolio what exit strategies do they have now that maybe though they're doing can they cash flow even more because right now when it's when we're in a period where interest rates have gone from 3% or 4% as an investor to 8%, right 7 or 8 um it might be harder to buy properties but that doesn't mean that you cannot maximize the cash flow out of the properties that you already have so that's one of the things that we're doing now too in teaching this it's important to know You can still buy properties. There are still deals out there uh, through seller financing, regular loans, whatever. uh, But you have to analyze your portfolio. You said
0: that interest rates going higher can obviously affect your ability to buy, etc. Look towards the next decade. What do you think is going to happen with the real estate market as we go forward? What are you
1: planning for? Yeah, looking into the future, I still think that I think rates are going to come down. To around five percent, I don't think that we will ever see that like four, three percent. I we I bought an investment property with somebody with with a business partner, and our rate is three point five percent on an investment property. Right, uh, that is freaking awesome, and uh, but that also sorry that also stops us from seeing like look we have a lot of equity, we may not be able to get a line of credit to tapped into that equity, and if we refinance, we're going to pay like at 7% now. So now we're stuck. So that's another decision that we have to do. Hey, I bet you there's a lot of people that are stuck right now. Be like, I'm good. I'm not going to sell uh, because they're being greedy. Not greedy, but like, it's important to know what the end goal is. And that's actually after this call. Today, I'm meeting with that business partner and basically discussing what the end goal is of our portfolio is. And that's something that's really important. So that you're not, hey, no, I have this rate at 3.5, I'm not going to sell. The other part is is more I see the rates because I've been speaking with lenders, a lot of lenders, and they do say that rates have gone up, but that once once things are going to once things even out, things are going to come back down to that like five 5%, 6% compared to that 8 or n- even 9 at some points that we were seeing on investment loans. So, I think things are going to hold steady. Um and people are still going to be buying and all of that stuff.
0: You've mentioned a few times this idea especially with new people in real estate analysis paralysis. There are a lot of people listening here who've probably been considering real estate for a long time uh, but mm-hmm. maybe haven't jumped in what do you think is the best first step? Cuz I think that's where everyone always gets stuck is mm-hmm. going from inaction to action. So what's like a good first step if you're if you're thinking about real estate as one of the ways you're interested yeah.
1: in pursuing more investing? Yeah, I say your team is the most important because they're going to give like taking out an investor friendly realtor for lunch is one of the best things that you can do. Talk to two or three realtors. It doesn't matter but tell them about your strategy and see if they have done it too, right? Once you do that, and that's a great first step locally in your area. Um, I always say, connect with like-minded people, go to meetups, right? So that you're talking to people. You have to get into those conversations so that you can look at opportunities. But having your real estate team is really important. The other one is, so talking to your realtor and getting pre-approved with a lender. That is the most, hey, I'm gonna take action committed because they're gonna pull your credit, they're gonna do this. That's the most, hey, I'm I'm gonna be committed to buying my next rental or my first rental, uh, or my first property to house hack. Um, I feel like those are the steps um that one can take to take action for sure.
0: You talked about in-person resources, right? The realtor, the lender, etc. What about on the internet? Are there some really good resources for beginning real estate investors that you suggest to everybody?
1: Yeah. I mean, listening to podcasts are really good, like the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Um, there's there's a lot of different podcasts that one can listen to. YouTube videos, there's a lot of education. But here's one thing I would say make sure that you listen to all these to to all the podcasts and stuff like that, but pick. One strategy and go all into it. Because if not, you're gonna be you're gonna be bombarded with so many different ideas that you're not gonna take action. So there's a lot of free content, free 99 on YouTube, right? But the idea here is that you want to make sure that you choose the one strategy and stick to it.
0: Any hints on content producers to avoid? Like you ever listen to a podcast or read a blog or even read a book and know immediately that this person is probably not good for other people to follow?
1: Yeah, I would say it's important to make sure that their their video is matching their audio, right? Like if they're telling you to invest in one way, but they've never done it, They're just doing it because of uh, just because of the knowledge that they've been getting. There's so there is here's here's one one thing. There's communicative knowledge and then there's revealed knowledge. Communicative knowledge is stuff that you have learned by listening to podcasts, whatever. Right. But there's a difference if there's revealed knowledge where you have been in the arena, you've been taking action and then you come back and teach on that or help on that rather than just creating content. It is very important to see yourself as like, okay, do I want, not the lifestyle, but do I want maybe the portfolio or do I resonate with that person, right? Uh, But make sure that their video is is matching their audio. That's what I would say. Um, you can also talk to different people too, that if you see them, that they're on that mastermind or whatever, and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, how, how, how do you think this person is investing and so forth? Yeah. I would recommend for people to do their research too. Well, Diego, I want to thank you for
0: being on the show today. What I take from our conversation is that. Real estate is a great way to get towards financial independence, not the only and certainly, as you talked about before, sales is incredibly important, whether you use that for some other business or real estate, but you have to realize that real estate is many different things, and some mm-hmm. of them you may be really passionate about, and others you may not. Uh, but you can pick and choose and then use real estate to fulfill the place in your portfolio in your portfolio that you want it to fulfill. And maybe that's why it's so magical. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. First, tell us about the FI Investors Mastermind. Is it open? If it is, what do you guys talk about? How can people learn about that if, if they want to be part of it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So they so the FI Investors Mastermind, they can go to thefiinvestors.com. To learn more about it, or reach out to me at Real Diego Corzo on Instagram, and we'll be—I'll be more than happy to jump on a call. We open it up monthly, so um, so that way we can we have a group of people that they can get started, and we have the rookie for the fir- for people. We have a twelve-week boot camp if you're buying your first rental, but we're also helping people scale. Right. So we've had people that have gone from two doors to 40 doors to 20 doors, stuff like that, which is really fulfilling. Uh, But we create an opportunity for people to take action, accountability and a network of like 80 investors where you can have conversations every single day. And that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about.
0: And is Instagram the best place to find you at Real Diego
1: Corzo? Yes. Instagram is the best way to find me.
0: Well, Diego, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today.
1: Yes. No, thank you very much. I am super excited and uh, I really appreciate your time. And your book has been super influential um, for, for me. And one of the things that we do in the Mastermind too is we we bring speakers every Monday and you were one of them and we got everybody to read your book. It was amazing. We had really deep conversations, which... Those are the conversations that need to happen not later in life, but when you're on the path to achieving financial independence, right? That's why Taking Stock was such a great book. And thank you for, for coming to to the mastermind too, and to always being able to, re- you respond super quick. And I know because it's because you care. And <laughs> it's come
0: old. No, because I'm old. <laughs> you're old because yeah, sure. I'm but old, and we don't awesome. understand how social media works.
1: <laughs> yes. So thank you very much for that and for and for having me share again here on the podcast.
0: You are very welcome. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you actually on this show was by going and being part of your mastermind and being interviewed and talking mm-hmm. there. I realized, that for your group it's not just about real estate it's not just about money or buying properties it's about mm-hmm. living the life you want to live and i That's knew when we started our talk there that that it included very much real estate but not only real estate and that was what was appealing to me
1: yes and one thing that you mentioned about living the life that you want to live it's important to know that for the audience and for anybody it's like no matter what background you have what obstacles what challenges uh, you maybe have had as a child or as an adult, you achieving your life, your goals in life and financial freedom and everything, everything is possible, especially here in America, because like I'm I'm doing it as a DACA recipient, as a dreamer. So I'm not American. I don't have papers or anything, but I've been able to achieve my version of the American dream uh, regardless of, of that. So it's something that investing in passive income is achievable for anybody.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. That's a wrap. Earn and invest is now part of the airwave media podcast network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Okay. Was I the only one who was surprised that when Diego was asked, What he would do if all of his money was gone and he had to start at zero today, his answer was not real estate, but sales. And it's funny because I've heard a number of people say this before, that the ability to sell, to make sales, is maybe singly the most important thing you can learn as an entrepreneur, but maybe as anyone I mean, as I think back, I was constantly selling myself from high school to college when I wanted to get into the college I wanted to go to, from college to medical school, from medical school to residency every time I had to apply and sell the institution on who I was, and eventually after residency to get my first job, and then as an attending physician, I had to continuously sell myself to my patients, but also to the specialists who would refer me other patients. Sales is something we do our whole lives and often we start by selling ourselves. I eventually moved a little bit in the business world and I started to sell other things. My first attempt was selling artwork online and I did it for a few years and sold a few hundred thousand dollars worth of paintings and I thought a lot about how we sell things because I knew nothing about art when I started. Originally, I was able to sell because I offered paintings cheaper than other people did. I found a way to get them at very low prices, and then I marked them down significantly and put them on eBay or sold them on a website. So it was my price point that helped in my ability to sell. But later on, I realized it wasn't just price point, but I could also rely on content. I found that people loved paintings with horses in them. So if I bought paintings with horses in them, I could sell them for full price instead of half price. And still find people who were interested. After it was content, I realized scarcity played a role, right? If I could get my hands on something that was scarce, a painting that no one else could get, I could also charge full price or even more. And finally, I landed on value. If I was able to buy paintings that were thought to go up in value over time, I, you could usually sell them to people for more. Because people also saw that they had value and looked at those paintings as an investment. So they weren't so worried about what they were paying today. They were much more interested in what the painting would be worth tomorrow. Sales affects everything. And your ability to sell might be the one characteristic that will make you successful in almost anything you do. Again, whether it's selling yourself or selling a service or selling a product. The real question is who teaches you how to learn how to sell? I mean, yes, you can go to business school. Yes, you can get sales jobs. You can take online courses, etc., But I wonder if some of this is really based on who you are as a person. I actually do not feel I'm very good at sales, maybe external sales. I'm good at selling myself and my skills and those type of things. But selling paintings or selling other things always was a huge challenge to me. It doesn't feel innately like what I was meant to do. Now, is that a limiting belief? Maybe. And maybe if I got past that limiting belief, I would be much more successful, whether that be selling books or selling courses or selling my podcast. But it's an interesting concept, an interesting concept, which I think all of you should think about. I think we should invest in the stock market. I think we should invest in real estate. But maybe we should also invest in our ability to master the art of making the sale. I think it'll serve you. It'll serve you if you have very little money, and it'll also serve you if you have a lot. It'll serve you whether you were working for someone else or whether you were working for yourself. It'll serve you when times are good and also when times are bad. Like I said, I didn't expect Diego to come up with this answer, and yet it is a topic that we have not talked about here a lot on Earn and Invest, and maybe that is a mistake. Maybe we should talk about it more. Maybe all of you should ask yourselves, what are you good at selling? Not just yourself, but are there other things out there in the world that you know how to sell? And if so, why aren't you doing that right now? Right. I think I leave things running just for a moment or two to catch our after show. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to address or anything that as we were talking, you didn't have a chance to to elaborate on?
1: Um, No, I mean, the the only one one thing uh, that I did make sure we touched at the end was that I'm a dreamer and a DACA recipient. Right. For people that like it's up there for anybody um, to go and fulfill. So we got everything. (laughs)
0: <laughs> did you find I mean, so one of the things about being a dream and a DACA recipient is did you find access to capital
1: was much more difficult? Oh, 100 percent. A hundred percent. In the beginning, it was. Um, yeah. Even now, I, I can't get a line of uh, HELOC. I have to go through commercial lenders. Um, but it's just part of it. You just have to learn how to play with the obstacles and the challenges and go from there. It's completely normal.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. Most people don't go into real estate because they're afraid that they don't have the money to begin. And yet most experienced real estate investors will tell you that the money is a minor problem
1: Mm -hmm.
0: comparatively, right? Because now they have all sorts of different cards to play in their hand, right? Whether that be commercial loans or you know, whatever VA loans or hard money lenders or, you know, seller financing or it's really interesting that all of us novices worry about the money so much. Mm -hmm. And the people who've been doing this for a while always seem to have good solutions for the money problem.
1: Exactly. Exactly. No, it's important. Like one of the properties that I bought, it was somebody that maybe he had the money, but the, or like he didn't have the money and I did. So he had it under contract, he added me as a partner, I came in with the money and now he's an owner, right? Of yeah. course we, we established different things for the partnership, um, but I saw opportunity in the deal and I told him, hey, if we ever sell this property, I'm gonna get all my money back first and then we'll split the, the appreciation. And he was okay with it. So yeah, it's totally doable. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere is important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do